Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. Morning, I'm Michelle Martin. The rental market here in Singapore is certainly heating up. Rents for Singapore's private apartments and HDB flats rose to new record highs last month, and expectations are that the rents will keep rising. So rents for condos rose 2.3% in April, surpassing their previous peak. Rents for HDB flats also increased 1.9% to move past the record that was set back in 2013. So as Singapore opens its travel borders, work relocations here increase, including relocations from Hong Kong. These factors set against a backdrop of a tight supply of homes because of construction delays have property watchers expecting the rental market to stay hot here. So you might be thinking, does this buttress the idea that property in Singapore is a good investment? Better than everything else. Well, my guest today might have a different take for you to consider. He is the former civil servant who has started a property investment consultancy that helps others figure out how to invest in properties located overseas from right here in Singapore. Last time we spoke, he told us you could get started in the UK with $50,000 in capital. Today, we're going to ask, is there a limit to how far property can appreciate here? Is the traditional story, you know, of banking on your first property to make money that steps you up in Singapore? Is that an outdated story? And if so, what is an alternative route to pulling yourself upwards and onwards if you still want to bank on that real-world asset of property. We welcome back the founder of Born Poor Die Rich, Daniel Sim. Good morning, Dan. Hi, Michelle. Thanks so much for having me back. Great to have you here. So let's have your opinion framing the show. To what extent do you think people can bank on their properties in Singapore as a means of building wealth? Yeah, that's a, a great question. And also, I love the stats that we were sharing earlier. I think, you know, this idea of people, I think in Singapore, a lot of people, you know, in, in the past used to buy HDBs. Then once they appreciate in value, it reaches its MOP, the occupation period of five years, and then they sell it for profit. They try to upgrade to an EC and then, you know, the upgrading kind of way to building wealth. However, you know, with the recent announcements like the, the prime location housing, for example, I think there's simply going to be fewer HDB millionaires because there's going to be a cap, you know, in terms of how people can make money from it, even renting it out. So I think that for one is going to change. But even then, I think the, the model of trying to build equity is great, but ultimately that may not necessarily provide for your retirement because I personally, I feel that building that lump sum of cash is wonderful, mm-hmm. but then, you know, in your retirement, you have to then hope that you live, uh, you know, the money lasts <laughs> longer than you live uh, and, and try to spend it slowly as it whittles down. And I think that's actually a big challenge because it keeps, you know, a lot of middle income people. I mean, for, for myself, I don't come from a wealthy family. Hmm. So this actually keeps these families that have or individuals, or couples that have worked hard all their lives. But it traps them in almost having the next generation to start from zero again because it's spent all that wealth that you build up you spent it all. So I feel that a different model is necessary and that is to create passive income streams from assets that even after you spend the passive income that generated from rentals, the, the asset actually is still worth its initial value, if not more. Mm. 
There's an interesting idea. So you think there, there really is a limit to how much you can expect your properties to appreciate here in Singapore? Do you think this mainly applies to HDB flats or do you hold this opinion across the board of different kinds of property? Right. I think the in Singapore, don't get me wrong, I mean, with property, the people say that we're not building any more land, right? <laughs> so mm. we can't build more land. I guess in Singapore, a little bit with reclamation. But beyond that, you know, it still remains a scarce asset, a basic need. People always need a roof over their heads. So in the long run, especially in a land-scarce place like Singapore, I think property prices aren't going to go up. And I mean long run, like 10, 20, 30 years. But that said, you know, we're, we're no longer Singapore from third world to first, right? It's no longer the times where my dad, you know, he told me he bought a HDB flat for like 5000 And obviously we all know, you know, our parents, our grandparents' generation buying properties for <laughs> incredible, incredibly cheap values. Wait, 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 wait. Risen, Hold on, Daniel. Yeah. Rewind a yeah. little bit. Did he buy, it was 5000 the deposit or was 5000 for the flat? For the whole flat. <laughs> I think it was in Topayo. <laughs> in Topayo? When was you? must have been the first batch, huh? This, uh, this yes, is in yes. the 70s, yes, 80s. he was. Yeah. So, wow. I mean, obviously that has gone up to hundreds of thousands. Yes. And I just don't see that happening again, you know, moving ahead even in the next 10, 20 years. Mm-hmm. And also because by policy design, you know, our government has been putting in many rounds of cooling measures. So, I think... Simply by, by design, you know, it's meant to grow at a slow but steady pace, right? Of maybe one to three percent per year, mm-hmm. and, and that prevents like you know uh, big shocks to the market. The property market crashes, you know, ten, twenty percent, thirty percent, and then a lot of people get into trouble. So I think you know, whilst it's painful to have all these cooling measures coming in, the government is really trying to protect people from you know overextending themselves and getting caught by by big market fluctuations. Yeah, I mean, to that point of policy changes on the scene, uh, just recently we saw the Ministry of Finance announcing an additional buyer stamp duty of 35% is going to be imposed on any transfer of residential property into a living trust that occurs after May the 9th. So yeah. I think this has got some people wondering if, if property is the best store of generational wealth in their books as well. So that to your point of policy changes and mm-hmm. um, to what extent you can bank on properties here as a means of building and passing on wealth. Now, I want to divert a little to this conception that we often hear that investing in overseas property is just riskier. It's so much more riskier than investing here. Do you believe that's a misconception? Well, I think a lot of people <laughs> think it's safer to invest you know, where you live in or closer to where you are. So in Singapore, people often think, you know, maybe Australia, maybe Malaysia, you know, areas around Southeast Asia where they can get to pretty quickly if they want to. I do think that's a big misconception. And I think linked to earlier, the point on whether property is a good asset class to, for a store of wealth, for example, mm. it really then goes back to what is your strategy when you're investing in property? So if you're looking to invest for a store of, of wealth, I mean, we look at landed prices going up as well very quickly, and that's something that foreigners can buy. But a lot of people you know, when they want to invest in property, their main goal actually is to, they think to themselves, okay, I'm going to stay in my residence, I'm going to buy another one, I'm going to rent it out and enjoy the passive income. Yeah. However, that just doesn't work in Singapore because the rents often can hardly cover the mortgage. So then where do we look, right? We look overseas and people say, oh, it's so far away, you know, is it more risky? I think ultimately it comes down to if your strategy is for passive income, mm-hmm. then you should go to where the strategy works best. 
And are there risks? Certainly. Is, is then how do you mitigate those risks, such as do you have a reliable team there to manage it? I mean, just to share with you why I think it's a misconception, if you have a property that's negatively cash flowing and you're making a loss every single month, then even if you can touch the property you live next to it, <laughs> that doesn't give, it's actually a false sense of security because True. it doesn't meet your investment objective. True. I want to pick up on that point. And I think for many people, that is still the script to wealth building. They buy a home, they save enough to buy a second home, and they rent it out and they hope that that is an additional stream of income. Are there, where in the world does that script make sense? Where are you looking at now that could be good areas? Yeah, that's a great question. So a lot of people think, you know, nearby, I, I think in Singapore it's definitely challenging. And if people have cash growing properties here, very likely they have very little lending on that property. So that same amount of money could be working much harder for them elsewhere. And for us at Bonco Dairich, we primarily look into the UK and also not into London, not into smack in Manchester or Birmingham city centres, because a lot of these new built flats, you know, I would say maybe are cash flow neutral. They probably might break even or give you a small profit. But even then we look in very, you know, select investing hotspots, which you know, like we mentioned the la- on the last show, we could buy terrace houses for maybe about £100,000 and you could cash flow, you know, at least three to 400, 500 single month profit. And if you look at, look at more advanced strategies like houses of multiple occupation, potentially up to eight, 900000 Singapore dollars a month just for a property, you know, a terrace house that you buy for maybe £100,000. Wow. And do you help people besides, you know, uh, giving some advice on where might be good areas? Do you help them also understand the sort of team required to manage an overseas property? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a great question, a great approach as well, Michelle, you know, having a team. I, I feel that a lot of investors, they're interested in investing. They see it as maybe a hobby, you know, especially, you know, if there's nothing to do, maybe let's go and look at the show flat. However, if you want to really profit from this and have a good retirement, you know, passive income streams in your retirement, then you really need to see as building this as a business. And then as we all know, for any business to be successful, you then need to surround yourself with the experts, the right teams. And these are, you know, all the way from people, you know, your solicitors to do your conveyancing, uh, your brokers to get your lending, people who find these properties for you, manage them, you know, collect the rent, find tenants. If there's a light bulb spot, you certainly don't want a phone call, <laughs> you know, from overseas and asking you, can you fix the light bulb? So little things like that. And, you know, really, really building that team to help you manage that remotely with peace of mind as well. So you do provide advice in that area. Okay, that's useful to know. Uh, We were talking a little earlier about a shift required in the script or in your retirement planning model. Uh, What are some of your ideas on, you know, what can replace people's retirement planning model of, okay, I'm going to buy a home, I'm going to live with it all my life, and then maybe towards the end I'll downgrade and use that cash to fund my retirement. What do you think needs to change? Yeah, I think that's fine as it is. Some people say, what's wrong with that? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And it's great, you know, if you downgrade, you have a chunk of cash. But I think the big, the, the question we can all ask ourselves is, can we do better? Right. So, you know, having that chunk of cash uh, and you spend it, hopefully prudently, then it should last you. But it whittles down, you know, to very little in the end. And you have very little to leave as a legacy for the next generation. So I think fundamentally, that's the, the mindset that needs to change. And Precisely because, you know, I remember when I first started working in the public service many years ago, there was this retirement function and I met this uncle. He was retiring. He was very happy. And I said, hey, uh, what are you going to do after your retirement? 
And he mm. said, I'm one of the last few pensioners and I'm going to get 60% of my last drawn pay to the day that I die. And I was like, that's amazing, right? That's <laughs> Even if I need to work, I get 60%. And I think just under our noses, this idea of pensions have shifted. I mean, we have parents, we have uncles who used to work as teachers or, you know, either firemen, even in the military. But, but that has shifted just under our noses in the last 20, 30 years. But a lot of us are still executing a previous strategy of, you know, let's just right. <laughs> you know, work hard and then we'll be taken care of for life. Mm. However, we need to start building now to replace that, that missing pension that, that once was there. And I think how, how do you do that is by buying assets that then generate streams of passive income. And for, for us, obviously, we look at property. So if you look at a typical, uh, I mean, Michelle, you mentioned Singaporeans' idea of investing, like they buy maybe another condo in Singapore and with the loan to values now for a second property at 45%, even if you buy a 1 million uh, condo, that, that requires a down payment of like 550000 almost half a million, right? And then even if, even if you do that, which is pretty amazing by any standards, you would still get maybe a, a very low passive income yielding property of, you know, maybe a thousand or so. However, with that same 550,000, right, if you, you then buy properties in the UK, like I mentioned, if you buy a terrace house for a hundred thousand pounds, you could even get lending, you know, if the, you work with us and we can introduce you to context to get lending 65 to 75%, then a very slow and steady approach to building wealth is a lot of our clients find themselves buying one property in the UK every one to three years. Wow. And you know, over the next five years, seven years, they, they realize they can, they can actually have a choice. I, and I love it. And this is why I love what I do because hmm. just looking at their faces when the penny drops <laughs> and you realize like, oh my gosh, I can, be, I can retire in five years, seven years time. Yeah, that gives me immense satisfaction because they're building generational wealth that will really last their children and their children's children. Amazing. We're going to come back, talk about considerations you should be thinking about before making any sort of property investment purchase overseas with Daniel Sim from BornPoorDieRich.com. That's the website you can get more information from. Dan will be back after this. Rolls Royce pioneers cutting-edge products and technologies. And our people are the ones who make Rolls Royce a leader in sustainable solutions in civil aerospace, defense, and power systems. Together, we are enabling the business sectors we operate achieve net zero carbon emissions. We invest heavily in research and technology and form close partnerships with Singapore's universities and research institutes to nurture skilled talents. Find out more at www.rolls-rise.com. Money and Me on Your Money, only on Money FM 89.3. Daniel Sim is the founder of Born Poor Die Rich. They help you find golden goose properties. Daniel, what are some key considerations anybody should be thinking through before they make any sort of property investment purchase in your book? Right. So for us, we thanks for that, Michelle. And I think you know when it comes to property investing and what constitutes then a golden goose property, really is a property that lays you golden eggs, meaning the rent that of any you know, outgoing expenses, being, be it managing somebody to collect rent or manage your property or to pay for utilities and repairs, it should give you a profit at the end of the month. So to me, I, I think a huge tip that we often share with our, our clients is that the first thing you need to do is to know your strategy. Are you investing for passive income? Are you looking to try to buy and sell for a profit? Because your strategy then determines 
you know, where you look at, what kind of properties you, you should be looking at. So, I mean, for us, we primarily help people who want to build passive income streams. So the first criteria then really is what I call a cash flow litmus test. You have to make sure that the rent minus your mortgage and outgoing expenses has to be positive. Otherwise, you know, it's not going to get you closer to your investment objective. In fact, that question is a good one to ask yourself for every property that you buy. Ask yourself, is this property bringing me closer to that goal of having, you know, 1,000, 2,000, 4,000 passive income a month? So I think that's where a lot of people get confused and they just think, okay, I buy property to make money. I heard people you know, can make money in property. And, you know, especially they get confused by, for example, they go to a show flat and developers are going to raise prices in a couple of months and they think they're going to make a profit. But it actually has nothing to do with if that property generates any passive income. Absolutely fantastic insights that we can think of and work on and build on. Daniel, wonderful to have you back on the show. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Michelle. appreciate that. Born Poor Die Rich is the name of his property consultancy. BornPoorDieRich.com is where you can find them. This is Money and Me. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at MoneyFM893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.